Betty, you hit the nail on the head when you said, listen to the words of that song. Is that not powerful, powerful words in that? Amen. I couldn't find, what is it? I, I want to read y'all, there's a hymn book, up, what was 504? 504. Just 506. I want to read a phrase, and of course, you sing something, you read something, you do it several times before you really catch hold of what it's saying. Let me find this phrase real quick, like that really caught my attention. I uh, hope I can find it. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. Amen. Is that not a powerful statement? From life's first cry to final death. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful that you love us. And thank you, Father, that we don't have to guess about it. You proved it by sending your very own Son from heaven to this earth to live, to die, to be buried and raised again, and to send back into heaven to show us how much you love us and to show what your Son can and will do for us. And, Father, as we prepare our hearts to celebrate Easter, Lord, I just pray that you'll be in our midst Lord, even this day as we study the parable that Jesus gave prior to his last week on earth, Father, help us to see the strong emphasis on when he returns. And Father, if that were to happen today, I pray that every person in this room could look at you and say, My Savior and my Lord, I'm ready to go home. But Lord, I pray that if there are those that have not yet met your Son, and, Father, help them to know that this prayer, not only by me, but by many Christians for them, is not out of judgment, but out of love. Lord, I thank you for those that prayed for me and for my family that we would turn to you and be born into your kingdom. And so, Father, with the same love that others have given us, we love others, praying for them that they will come to know Christ as their Savior. And, Father, pray for we who are believers. God, strengthen our hearts. Lord, we want revival to continue, not just in powerful sermons, Lord, but in powerful lives that are lived and committed to you each day. Father, help us this week that we will seek opportunities to share your love by action and deeds, by attitudes and by speech. Father, again, thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. The last time I worked was on February the 10th, and uh, we got started. It's a little joke, all right, if y'all weren't here, that's a little joke. Um, and we got started on a parable that is recorded in Luke 19, verses 11 through 27, and this is actually part two. But because it's been a month uh, since we looked at that, I want to go back and recap some of the things that we said before. But I hope that you will study this parable. And let me tell you what I want to encourage you to do. I, I can only encourage you and hopefully lead you. I cannot command you or make you. But I want to encourage you to begin with this parable and study and meditate on the rest of the Gospel of Luke. And I'm going to tell you why in just a few minutes as we outline what happens. But Jesus is getting ready to begin his last week on this earth as a man.
And he gives this parable, I think, and it prepares his disciples and those who are following him for the next eight days. And I think these are some very important days in the life of Jesus and important days for you and me. But listen to this parable again. You can follow on the screen, but I hope that you'll also have your Bible open and you'll make notes. Luke 19, verse 11 and following. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable. Now let me point something out. Notice that the word because is used twice. There are two main reasons Jesus gives this parable, and we'll mention this again, I'm sure, later on. But number one, because he was near to Jerusalem. That makes sense, just to read it, but that was very important. And secondly, because they supposed that the kingdom of God was appear immediately. Verse 12, he said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive a kingdom and then return. Let me just give you this bit of information. In those days, and especially the area of Palestine where Jesus was ministering and where he had ministered, Rome had set Herod as the governor or the leader, the director over that region. But before Herod could assume that responsibility, he had to go to Rome and be given authority over that region. It was not uncommon for someone who was going to be placed at the head of a kingdom to receive authority from someone else. There's symbolism here, folks, because Jesus is the creator of this world, but he was going to go back to heaven, and he was going to be given authority by God the Father over this earth. And one of the best pictures that's found in Revelations chapter 5 is Jesus is handed the scroll with the seven seals. And I'm not trying to be all over the place today, folks. I want you to know there's so much packed into this passage of Scripture. Folks, all of this is about God's plan. God's plan for the life of Jesus and God's plan for the return of Jesus Christ. He is coming back, praise God, and he's coming back to be the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And all of this is wrapped up in this parable. Look at verse 13. Wait a minute, let me, verse 12. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive a kingdom, then returned, calling ten of his servants... He gave them ten pounds and said to them, Trade with them, or these, till I come. While he is gone, the servants are supposed to trade with these talents. But his citizens hated him and sent an embassy after him, saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned. And again, notice in this parable of the certainty of the return of the nobleman or the master. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he commanded these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know what had been gained by their trading. The first came before him saying, Lord, your pound has made 10 pound more. And he said to him, I love these words. Well done, good servant. What's Jesus going to say about me and you? What's Jesus going to say about Theresa Baptist Church when he comes back? I hope he'll say, well done good servants. Because you've been faithful in very little, you will have authority over ten cities. 
And the second came, saying, Lord, your pound is made five pounds. And he said to him, And you can, are to be over five cities. Then another came, saying, Lord, here is your pound, which I kept laid in a napkin. For I was afraid of you, because you are a severe man. You take up what you did not lay down and reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I will condemn you out of your own mouth, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man taking up what I did not lay down and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money into the bank and at my coming I should have collected it with interest? And he said to those who stood by, take the pound from him and give it to him who has ten pounds. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten pounds. I tell you that everyone who, uh, who has will more be given but from him who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slay them before me. Four weeks ago, as we began this study, I wanted you to remember these things about the events that had happened prior to Jesus giving this parable. Jesus has been busy healing, teaching, proving that he is the very Son of God, helping lost sinners to be freed from their sin and given salvation. And folks, again, I want to affirm once again what the Scriptures teach about salvation. To be saved is to know God personally. To be saved means that we who are sinners have been given right relationship with God. And salvation is not simply a set of laws and rules. Salvation is not simply a mindset or a religious philosophy, but salvation is a living, dynamic, growing relationship with God through our trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior and our Lord. Amen. And folks, there are examples throughout the Gospel of Luke where Jesus has given salvation to others. I think about just in the immediate verses how in chapter 18 at the end, the blind beggar outside of Jericho is healed. He's not only given physical, uh, physical sight, but he's given spiritual thought, sight. I think about the verses earlier in Luke 19 where one of the greatest sinners in the town of Jericho, uh, Zacchaeus, a chief tax collector and rich man, rich because he has robbed the common man, comes to know that Jesus is the Savior of the world. And as the Lord says in verse 9, today salvation has come to this house. Jesus has been busy seeing people born into the kingdom of God. And Jesus has been preparing the disciples what would happen as they enter Jerusalem. And again, just remember this. Everything in the gospel is geared toward Jesus getting to Jerusalem. The time that Jesus gets there is not accidental or an act of faith. It is under the plan of God. Listen to what Jesus tells the disciples in Luke chapter 18, verses 31 to 34. It will be on the screen. And taking the twelve, he said to them, Behold, we're going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written of the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. What happens to Jesus had already been foretold in the Old Testament by the prophets. Verse 32, For he will be delivered to the Gentiles. He will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. They will scourge him and kill him, and on the third day he will rise. 
But listen to verse 34. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hid from them, and they did not grasp what was said. Let me read the Living Bible translation of verse 34. But they didn't understand a thing he said. He seemed to be talking in riddles. Folks, this morning, and again, I'm sharing my heart with you. If you are here today and you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior yet, what we're talking about now might seem like riddles to you. How could someone come from heaven to earth? How could someone die on a cross and be buried in a grave and on the third day, just as he promised, be raised again? How could that person, after 40 days, ascend back into heaven and promise that he's going to come back again? How could it happen? Because he is the Son of God, and he is the Savior of the world. And this is God's plan, folks. These disciples could not fully understand. And folks, as we approach Easter, and especially I want to encourage you, if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, would you let the Word of God and the words of Jesus speak to your heart? And folks, I want to take just a moment to point out what happens after Jesus gives this parable. Notice how Luke describes the last week in the life of Jesus. And again, if you want these, Fran will make them available to you. Uh, if You can go on the website and, and hear this sermon over and hear these verses, or we'll try and get them for you, okay? But beginning in Luke chapter 19, verse 28, after this parable, through the end of chapter 23, Luke describes the last week in the life of Jesus. On Sunday, Jesus triumphantly enters into Jerusalem, chapter 19, verses 28 and 48. Now, folks, he had to do this. This was, this was predicted by Scripture by Zechariah, Zechariah chapter 9, that he would ride into Jerusalem on the donkey. Monday through Wednesday, in chapters 20, verse 1, through 21, verse 38. And, and all of this seems to happen around the temple. Jesus has gone to the temple, and there he is teaching, but he also he cleanses the temple. I don't see Jesus as a man who argues, but he was a man who would stand tall for what was the truth. He could look you in the eye and tell you what the Father meant, but he would do it with a loving heart. And you'll see the conflict and the controversy that's going on between he and the Jewish leaders. And he also, during this time, is teaching the people in the temple. So three days are spent within the, the area of the temple, and he is teaching them and trying to help them understand why he's come. Thursday is preparation for the Passover, the Lord's Supper, and the experience in the Garden of Gethsemane, chapter 22, verses 1 to 53. And then on Friday, the trial, the crucifixion, and the burial of Jesus. And folks, there's something very important I need to point out to you. That Jesus, and I really didn't have this in my mind and in my thoughts. Jesus, first of all, was tried by his Jewish peers, or who they thought were his Jewish peers. In chapter 22, verses 54 to 71, and let me point something out. You know who these folks were? They were the religious folks. They were the ones that thought they were going to get into heaven because of their titles and their positions and their good works. And they're the ones that had the Son of God crucified. 
The Roman trial before Pilate is in chapter 23, verses 1 to 25. And then the crucifixion is in chapter 23, verses 26 to 49, and the burial in chapter 23, verses 50 to 56. And folks, I want you to know why I'm taking time to do this. If you want to know the whole story, get in the Word of God. And listen as Luke describes what happens in that last week. But folks, thank God the story doesn't end there. Luke chapter 24. Listen to this. Luke 24. Excuse me, I forgot Saturday, didn't I? Saturday. If you've got your Bibles open, just flip with me to, to Luke chapter, chapter 23. And let me read. You might not think this is important, but I really, I'm burdened that we know what happened in that week. Okay? Because what happened in that week has changed history. What happened in that week has changed my life and your life. What happened in that week has changed the life of this church. What happened in that week is the focus of everything that we do as Christians and as a church. On Saturday, the disciples, really the women, rested. Listen to this, Luke 23, beginning with verse 54. It was the day of preparation and the Sabbath was beginning the women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. And folks, listen to this last sentence in verse 56. And, and it just caught me yesterday morning. I had to be reading this passage. On the Sabbath, they rested according to the commandment. You and I know that they could not embalm the body of Jesus because by the time they got it to the tomb, it was almost sunset or 6 o'clock. And that's when the Sabbath began on Friday evenings. They could not embalm the body. They could not touch a dead body during that time. So they were going to have to wait the first light Sunday morning. And so these are devout women and they knew that God's command was the rest on the Sabbath. And I've thought about that, folks. They had to wait a whole, over a day to know if Jesus' body was going to be resurrected. They had to wait the whole time before they could go back to the tomb. And they were carrying spices, thinking that his body was still there. He had been put to death and that he was dead and gone. And, and I just happened to notice this morning, and I had not seen this before, and, and, and this might be my Sunday morning sermon on Easter morning, just the word but. And I'm not trying to be silly nor funny, but I'd never noticed how many times the word but is used in Luke 24, and I found there at least three times already where Luke tells us but. What one group was expecting, but something else happened. The ladies were expecting to go back and embalm the body of Jesus, but the first word in chapter 24 is but. But he was not there. He had been raised from the dead. Go down to uh, later in that passage of Scripture, the two men on the road to Emmaus, and they're going back home. Jesus has died. He's been buried. He is gone. The cause is over. The man who said he was the resurrection and the life, he has died, and he is gone. He's in the grave. <laughs> Luke says, but. Yeah. 
put. Their eyes were closed only momentarily. And when they met Jesus on the road to Damascus, their eyes were open. And later on, again, the word but is used. Folks, listen, God is at work in all of this. And Jesus in this parable is trying to say, listen, I'm going to go away, but it's only going to be for a short time. But while I'm gone, I want you serving me. And folks, that's the story to the church. He has gone away to heaven to receive the kingdom. He's coming back. And he wants us to be busy until he gets back. Folks, I'm getting ahead of myself. Okay. But folks, all of this is staring us right in the eye. Truth is crying out to us. Listen to what the Savior has done. Listen to what Jesus' mission was. But understand that the rejection of Jesus is growing greater and greater, and especially in Luke chapter 12 through 19. Yes, great crowds are following him, and Jesus knows, though, what's in their heart. And he knew that their interest was not in spiritual things. And, and let me just, again, I want to give you a couple of verses, okay? John chapter 2, verses 23 to 25, and I think we read these before. And this is early in his ministry, but folks... Let me just read these verses. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he did. Now, folks, I don't fully understand that. I don't know if John is trying to say, I don't believe they believe in him as the Messiah. They hadn't gotten to that point yet, but many were believing that he was a great man by the miracles that he did. But listen to what verse 24 says. But Jesus did not trust himself to them because he knew all men and needed no one to bear witness of man for he himself knew what was in man. Folks, listen. Jesus knows what's in my heart and your heart. And Jesus knows whether you and I are in right relationship with him or not. Let me give you another passage of scripture. Luke eleven twenty-nine to 30. Listen to this. When the crowds were increasing, he began to say, This generation is an evil generation. It seeks a sign, but no sign shall be given it except the sign of Jonah. Now, why is this important? Jesus compares his death and burial and resurrection to Jonah. Jonah was swallowed by the great fish, correct? Jonah was in the belly of the fish for how long? Three days. What happened? Fish spit him out. And that is an Old Testament symbol of what would happen. Jesus would be in the grave three days, the third day. He would be raised again. And Jesus says in verse 30, As Jonah became a sign to the men of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. And folks, as I look at this, there's something that, that seems to be missing here. The people that saw Jesus missed the sign. The people that heard about his death and burial and resurrection missed the sign. And folks, for every generation that has followed since Jesus died on the cross, if you miss the fact that he is the Son of God, come to the earth, de uh, who died, who was buried and raised from the dead, if you don't trust that as being the sign that he is the Savior of the world, then you have missed the sign. Amen. And if you struggle with believing in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, then you miss the sign. In John 6, verse 15, 
John tells us, this is after Jesus fed the, miracle, uh, fed the multitudes, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Listen, Jesus is the king, but not the type of king they wanted. They wanted a king who would provide their every need. But Jesus is the king of our hearts. Folks, here's what I'm trying to say. The crowds were following him to see miracles. The crowds were following him to see him feed the multitudes. The crowds were following him thinking that he was going to begin a new kingdom where Israel again would be the greatest nation in the world. And the crowds had developed the attitude and the mentality that they would follow Jesus if he would keep them healthy, wealthy, entertained, and bring in the kingdom of God once again. But every time Jesus started talking to them about the demands of discipleship, folks, they started dropping away from him. So often we want a Savior that will follow our plan instead of telling us his plan for our lives. And Jesus points out in the Gospel of Luke, and let me just give you some chapters out of the Gospel of Luke, these are the requirements of following Jesus. Look at this. Number one, personal discipleship. In Luke 9, 23 to 26, that's where Jesus talks about uh, how if any man would come after him, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow him. In Luke 15, the introduction to the three parables about the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the prodigal son, Jesus says to follow him means we must love all mankind. In Luke 18, Jesus talks about childlike faith in him. In Luke 18, as he is talking to the rich young ruler who was not willing to give up his riches to be born into the kingdom of God, Jesus says you must surrender all earthly things to him. And in Luke 19:15, we must be willing to serve Jesus until he comes back again. Well, folks, with all that in mind, let's look at these verses, this parable. In verse 11 of Luke 19, as they heard these things, Jesus knew what was in their hearts and the minds of the crowds. Jesus knew how they were processing and interpreting all that he was doing and his teaching. And folks, there's something that we always need to point out. Just as our Lord and Heavenly Father seeks to get our attention and speak to our hearts, Satan is seeking to sway us away from the Word of God, from the teaching and leading of the Holy Spirit of God. And so that's why Jesus gave a parable. Now folks, remember that Teaching by parables was one of the normal practices of the Jewish rabbis. It was not to hide a teaching, but to make the hearer diligently listen and to seek to understand and apply the teaching to their, to their lives. Has anybody ever whispered around you? Doesn't that annoy you? Because you want to hear what they're saying. It might be about you. Don't you feel that way? And if you want your child... To really get their attention, start whispering, and you see what happens. Debbie and I used to, I've told this one Wednesday night, Debbie and I used to, if we had something we wanted to say to each other, we'd go back to the bedroom, shut the door. Well, you could hear youngins, two of them, leaning up against the door. They thought we were talking about them. 
Sometimes we were, but most of the time it was one of them eyeball-to-eyeball confrontations, y'all. That's another sermon. Uh, but, but look, Jesus begins this parable to get their attention. Is it 9.30 already? Golly. Um, give me just a couple more minutes. That's, y'all could put that on my headstone when I'm buried out there, okay? Give me just a couple more minutes. I, I'm just seeing if y'all are still awake. Um, let me, let me do this and we'll, we'll close, okay? A parable was an earthly story or illustration with a heavenly meaning, okay? Ask yourself, as you read and study this parable, what is Jesus trying to say not only to the people of that day and moment, but what is the meaning of this parable for you and me and for our church today? And please don't let Satan tell you, oh, man, that, that's 2,000 years old. It don't mean nothing. I want to remind you of Hebrews 4.12, the Word of God is living and active. And the Word of God will speak to every generation that reads it. You know what's the most amazing? You know one of the the reasons that I know that this is the Word of God? You know that old expression, it eats my lunch. The Word of God eats my lunch a lot of times. It doesn't make any difference if I'm reading the Bible when I first get up in the morning or whether I'm reading it late at night while everybody else has gone to bed, whether I'm sitting in that study, whether I'm standing in this pulpit, the Word of God speaks when we are listening. So why did Jesus give this parable? All right, verse 11, two reasons, because he was near to Jerusalem. Jesus knew what was getting ready to happen. Matthew 20, verses 17 to 19 And also this is found in Luke 9. But listen to this. As Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside. And on the way, he said to them, Behold, we're going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and scribes. They will condemn him to death, deliver him to the Gentiles. Folks, do you understand that Jesus, seven days out, is telling them exactly, or five days out, he's telling them exactly what's going to happen. Can you tell me what's going to happen five days from now and it come exactly true? I think I know what's going to happen on Friday, but I don't, and I have no control over it. But Jesus knew they'll deliver him to the Gentiles to be mocked, scourged, and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. And secondly, Jesus said because, or Luke says, because they suppose that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. Folks, how many of us want something to happen right now? We're so impatient, aren't we? And those, those disciples and the people that were following Jesus thought that Jesus was going to march into Jerusalem, destroy the rule of Rome and Herod, and the Jewish nation would be blessed and given freedom, and the Jewish kingdom would be established as in olden days, everyone would live happily ever after. But folks, listen. Jesus went into Jerusalem to what? To die. He went into Jerusalem to shed his blood on the cross, to take upon himself the punishment and judgment of our sins, sins of all the world. Jesus destroyed on the cross the powers of Satan, of sin, of hell, of death for you and me. 
and Jesus lives. That was always something he said, I'll be raised on the third day. Thank you all for the time that you allow me to stand in this pulpit and share the word of God. But folks, I pray that it's hitting home in my heart and your heart. This week, God was here at Revival. That was so obvious. And I'm not just going to keep harping back on that, but where there's some decisions that you needed to make then that you haven't made yet. If God's in it, He's still wanting you to make that decision. Have you trusted Christ as your Savior? I'm not asking you to do that to please me. And I'm not standing in judgment of you. You know, I'm so grateful that Knox Lambert stood in the pulpit and preached the truth and encouraged me and others to follow Jesus. I did not find peace until I found Jesus Christ. And you will not either. But He wants you to know Him. He wants you to know peace. And He wants you to be born into the kingdom of God. Let us pray. Father, thank You for the moments that we can spend in Your house focused upon Your Word. Lord God, I just thank You that what we're reading is the truth. That as John said, He was the light and the light came into the world and the darkness cannot put it out. Lord, may the light of Jesus Christ shine throughout every member in this church. And Father, I pray that the light of the gospel would be shared this morning in such a way that if there are those here that have never trusted Christ, Lord, if not today, in the days to come, may they truly examine your claims that you are the Son of God who left heaven and came to this earth on a mission, a mission of love, a mission of redemption. And Father, I pray that you will lead those that do not know your Savior to yourself, whether it would be during a church service, whether it would be during a moment at home as they listen to the Spirit of God and feel your embrace to let them know that you love them and that you did die for them. Father, I just pray that people will be born into your kingdom. And I pray, Father, that as we Christians await your return, that we will be found faithful. Bless these moments of invitation. May the Spirit of God speak, and may we respond as he leads. In Jesus' name, amen.